So what's your favorite monument? What's your favorite monument? Statue of Liberty, the Eiffel Tower, the pyramids of Egypt, the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Yeah, I'm not talking about the tower in Western Italy. I'm talking about the pizza joint in uptown Minneapolis. Yeah, I heard they have a great meatball sub at the Leaning Tower of Pizza. My guess is none of us would say that our favorite monument is Le Pousse. Yeah. Le Pousse is a giant thumb just outside of Paris. A gigantic thumb, just to give you an idea. It's a thumb that raises up about 40 feet in the air, which is about the same size as our steeple. <laughs> so imagine standing by a big, huge thumb in downtown. Now, the reality is, my guess is, going to the La Pousse would be fantastic if you're discouraged because you're always going to get a thumbs up. But truthfully, it sits in a very heavy business commerce area, so it's probably wise to go after five. Just, just a good rule of thumb. Yeah. Got them all day, all day. What is a monument? Well, a monument is something that is created, something that's built, something that's written, or something that's natural in creation that commemorates something. It, it's there for a purpose. It stands out. It's a reminder of something. And occasionally we'll say that something is monumental. And we could say that means it is of or relating to a monument. But more often than not, when we use the word monumental, we're talking about different stuff, right? They went on a monumental trip to Bucky's Country Store and gas station in Florence, right? It's a monumental trip. Or, or she made a monumental 18-layer chocolate cake for his birthday. Or, or he made the monumental decision to quit eating bacon, which would actually be a monumental mistake, I'm thinking, but the word monumental still works, right? All of us, all day long, everywhere we go, are surrounded with monumental decisions and monumental problems. From the supermarket to the Supreme Court, there are monumental decisions everywhere. The Supreme Court has to have legal actions that are usually matters of life and death. But likewise, you and I can be standing in the supermarket and we get a phone call from the hospital and we're suddenly in a moment of life and death. Monumental decisions are everywhere. Monumental problems are everywhere. Is there any help? Is there any help and any hope for the monumental moments of life? We continue our series called Doors, where we've been looking at some of the most defining doors that we face in life. And today, our message is monumental doors. And we'll be looking at Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 and, and what Jeremiah is doing is he's praying and so what we're going to find here is Jeremiah giving us a prayer for all of the monumental moments in life so what is he praying look at verse 17 O Lord God behold you yourself have made the heavens and the earth the key to finding wisdom and help and confidence and comfort in the monumental decisions of life and the monumental problems of life is wrapped up in having a living, loving, 
lasting relationship with the one true monumental God. That's how he prays. We're gathered here today to worship the God that created the heavens and the earth. That makes him monumental. But statistically speaking, most people in the world do not believe that. Most people in the world do not believe that there is a God who created heaven and earth, a God who created everything that exists. In other words, there are people who by faith believe there is a creator God, and there are people who by faith believe there is no creator God. I I said that correctly, because by the very definition of faith, it takes a tremendous amount of faith to deny that there is a creator God. It's not just religion, it is faith, to believe or to not believe. He's retired now, but for 39 years, Dr. Robert Kaida was an experimental research physicist at Princeton University. This is what he said about how his parents raised him. There is no inconsistency in parents who wanted me to read Darwin's Origin of Species when I was barely out of elementary school, as well as the Bible. They said, hey, you're going to read both. And he goes on. There also is no contradiction now in my claim to be a Christian and a scientist. Both professions involve an ongoing process of knowing more about a God who wants to be known, both through his word and through his creation. God wants to be known. He's not hiding. He wants to be known. In every sunrise, in every sunset, in every drop of rain, in every morsel of food, in every moment that we have access to the Bible, whether it's on the internet or in a leather-bound book in our hands, God wants to be known. Please don't miss that point. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. He is making himself known. It is who he is. Dr. Kaida goes on to say this, from my own experience, it isn't intelligence or higher education that keeps someone from becoming a Christian. Instead, the real stumbling block is that believing in God has consequences. It's not that they're too smart or too educated, but if you believe in God, it has consequences. I've read story after story of of so many different celebrities that were presented with the gospel. And at some point in the conversation over weeks or months, they just kept saying, I cannot give this up to follow after that, even though it sounds true. It's consequences. And what are those consequences? Dr. Kaida goes on to say this. We have to admit that we're sinners, that we're in need of forgiveness by the one who created us, and that's only possible through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. Recognizing this thus becomes an issue of honestly and humbly recognizing who we are. That's the speed bump. That's the hiccup right there. See, the best way for us to deal with the monumental decisions and the monumental problems in life is to honestly 
and humbly acknowledge who God is and acknowledge who we are. But don't miss those two words, honesty and humility. We looked at it a bit last week, but again, this is not what we're promoting in America in 2022. It's not even what's being promoted by Christian America in 2022. Honesty and humility are not what we're promoting. We're promoting get what you want. Get things back the way you want. Get what you want in the future. It is all about us and the glory of God is lost in the conversation. But if you really want to deal with the monumental decisions and you really want to deal with the monumental problems, you will need honesty and you will need humility. You will need to bow low before God. And bowing is not something we're used to. Jeremiah knew how to bow. He knew how to bow his head, bow his knees, bow his life in prayer. And that's why he prays, oh Lord God, behold you yourself. You've made the heavens and the earth. Now, what's happening in Jeremiah's life that's stirring him to, to pray like this? Well, here's the thing. God told Jeremiah to go buy a piece of land. The catch was he was supposed to go buy a piece of land in the middle of a nation that was about to be invaded and taken over by an army. Doesn't, doesn't sound like a great investment, right? I mean, the reality is he's getting ready to buy a piece of land that he's probably getting ready to lose immediately, and he's not going to get anything for it. Why would Jeremiah do that? Well, the reality is Jeremiah had learned to trust the voice of God. He had. Even when nothing made sense, even when he couldn't connect the dots and do the math, he had learned to trust the voice of God. So, little question for us. Have you learned to trust the voice of God? Do, do you even know the voice of God? I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, really, do, do you know what God's voice sounds like? I'm not talking about, you know, going out in the parking lot and hearing Morgan Freeman from the sky, okay? No, I mean, the, the actual voice of God, the, the truth that he, by his design, has given us in the Bible. Do you know how God speaks? Do you know how God thinks? Do you know how God acts? He's not hiding. He's not hiding who he is. It's, it's all contained in his truth. Are you familiar with that voice of truth? Are, are you familiar with the voice of God? Jeremiah prayed this way because he knew what God's voice sounded like. He knew what it meant. Listen to the next thing he prays. Oh, Lord God, behold, you yourself have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm, by your monumental Power by the monumental power of your outstretched arm. The God of Israel made the world and everything that's in it. All of it. We hear that in the very first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created all of it. The heavens and the earth. Someone said, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you won't have any problem with the rest of the Bible. There's just something about the beginning that, that causes us to see that if we can embrace God as creator, it changes things. If we embrace God as creator, it's fantastic. If we reject God as creator, it changes everything as well. What we believe 
about the creation of the world and God's role in it will impact our hearts, our minds, our souls, especially in the middle of monumental decisions and monumental problems. There's two basic definitions that we're looking at here in, in, in general conversation in life. And those definitions, those categories go like this. The amazing universe and all the science and the wonder that makes up the stars and the planets and, and all the organisms that inhabit this universe all came to be by explosive accident, by, by happenstance, by chance. Or the second category is that everything in the universe all the science and the wonders of, of everything with the stars and the planets and all the organisms that inhabit this universe, those things were created by one being who loves his creation. Now, when we think of how everything else in the world works, which one makes the most rational, reasonable, logical sense? That it's explosive accident or that something has has happened that there is a creator again we would graciously say this to deny that there is a creator god requires a tremendous amount of faith to ignore all that we see actually in science and say yeah there's no way there's a god requires a tremendous amount of faith I read once that astronomer Carl Sagan, when he was petitioning the government for funding to, to look for intelligent life in outer space, that, that part of his petition included that he was going to monitor radio signals, and I quote, for transmissions of order and pattern. He wasn't going asking for permission to find out if there's any explosive randomness in outer space he was going looking for order he was looking for pattern and again from what I read I, I don't believe that Sagan ever was looking for that order and pattern in a creator God but he wasn't going to look for chance order and pattern listen the most violent anarchist in the world wants order and pattern I do they, they want order and pattern. They want someone to be in charge, just not whoever's in charge. But they want someone in charge. You look at any aspiring anarchist group in the world, and guess what you'll find? There's a leader. There's somebody in charge. See, we want someone in charge, and in the deepest part of who we are, we want someone in charge. Because we know that things are not explosive accidents. When you look at a baby, you're not saying, oh, that's an explosive chance. When you're looking at, at laws, you're not saying, well, those, those just exploded by accident. When you look at, at cakes and pies, you don't say, well, those, those just happened. When you look at a house or a car or a birthday present, you say, oh, well, those things just happened. No, everything in the world has some sense of order, some sense of pattern 
And the most orderly and and pattern and rational and amazing description that we have found or that you can find for why the world exists, how the heavens and earth came to be, is found in the first chapter of the Bible. And the name that is over that over and over again is the God of Israel. Now, does that mean that the Bible is a scientific account? No. Does it mean that the Bible is a mythical account? No. It's not a creation myth. Many years ago, there was a, a biblical scholar that said that, that the book of Genesis and, and all about the, the Bible says about creation was just a myth. And C.S. Lewis said, I, w- I would love to know more about this biblical scholar, not his credentials as a biblical scholar. I would like to know how authoritative he is on mythology. Because Lewis was authoritative on mythology. And Lewis said for him to say that the Bible is a creation myth means he doesn't understand myths because the Bible's account is not a myth. It doesn't fall in the categories of mythology. Someone said that if God gave us a truly scientific, detailed account of of how the earth came to be, of the heavens and the earth and how everything exists, They said that it would be an account that would never end. It would be a book that would never end. You could never get to the final page because there's so much to say. And if he wrote it even in today's language, the science language of today, that means that the people before wouldn't understand it and the people in the future wouldn't understand it because the language would change. There's simply no way to give the accurate, true account of how everything exists because it is too awesome and it is too amazing. It's beyond our comprehension. And we may fight against it, but that's what we want. We we want there to be someone where there's a starting point, someone that's in charge. And that starting point according to all that we see in creation, according to to how the Bible lays things out for us, that starting point is God. Again, we want order. We want pattern. We want a starting point, and we want someone in charge. So, random, explosive accident or a loving creator? Which one makes the most rational, logical sense? If you've got a workshop in your backyard, is, is that what you want your family to come out when you've spent several weeks building something? You want them to come out in the workshop and say, oh, man, I bet that just happened. But you just came out here with some coffee and boom, there was a crib, you know? No, nothing in the universe works that way. So, so why would we think that the stunning beauty of what we live in just happened? God was talking to Job one day. He said this, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Or who enclosed the sea and said, your proud waves shall stop here? (laughs) What'd you do this week? Did you finish a big project at work? This week, did did you help people make money this week at your job? This week, did you help people improve their health? Did you, did you cut your grass this week? Did you get the yard taken care of? Those are all great things. This morning around the world, as he did on the very first day, God told the waves where to stop. He is the one true 
monumental God. Isaiah said something similar. God told Isaiah this, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Did you crunch some numbers at work this week? Did you keep up with gas prices this week? Did you find a great deal on sirloin tips this week? Did you lose a pound this week? Well, God knows how much the mountains weigh down to the last ounce. He is the one true monumental God. And get this, God cares for you more than he cares for the waves and the mountains. How do I know that? First John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Before he created the heavens and the earth, God created the plan to save me and save you from sin. This happened before the world began. The way we know what love is is because God sent Jesus to die for our sin. And that was planned before anything was created. That's how we know what love is. Before the waves, before the mountains, before the oceans, God sent Jesus. It was always the plan. And that is tremendously good news for every single moment of life, especially the monumental moments, the monumental decisions and the monumental problems. Knowing that before the foundation of the world that God made a way for things to be right between you and him, that is a medicine for any moment. Jeremiah knew that. That's, that's how he lived. That's, that's how he was thinking. And, and he's kind of looking at this moment of bought this land. I'm getting ready to lose the land. This real estate deal went south. And the way he's helping himself in the middle of it is to say this, well, hang on. God owns all the land anyway. Th that's a help. When you find yourself in one of those moments where it feels like everything's falling apart, maybe you are trying to buy some land, maybe you're trying to close on a house and, and things aren't working right, there's something powerful about being able to tell your soul, you know what, God owns everything anyway. I can trust him. That fact will do something to your heart. It did something to Jeremiah's heart. Look what he said next in his prayer. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing. Nada. Not. Nil. Zilch. Zero. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing. N nothing. He has no limits. There, there are no limits with God. So to help his mind, to help his heart, to help his soul, Jeremiah goes back to the beginning of everything. And he says, hey, self, if God created the heavens and the earth, I think he can help you with this bad land deal. I think he can help you with this moment that everything didn't go right. In his moment of fear, he goes back to the beginning. In his moment of discouragement, he goes back to the beginning. In his moment of depression, he goes back to the beginning. In his moment of fear, he goes back to the beginning. In his moment of anger, he goes back to the beginning. Over and over again, he goes back to the beginning. 
He starts with God, his authority, his power, and then he works his way out. That's exactly how Jesus told his disciples to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We start with God, we start with God, we start with God. But if we're honest, that's not really how we pray, is it? That's not even how we think. It's definitely not how we post on social media. We don't start with God, right? We start with whatever we're afraid of. We start with whatever we're angry about. We start with whatever's confusing. That's, that's where we start. And our thing is, all right, well, I'm going to go to God and I'm just going to blabber about all the stuff that's freaking me out. And then eventually it will help me work my way back to God. Here's the thing, though. It never works like that. It just doesn't. We never get back to God. Because our, our nervousness, our confusion, our fear, our worry, our anger, all those things just keep beating us down and we, we kind of never get back. See, we have to start with the power and authority of God. When we're in a monumental decision or a monumental problem, we have to start at the beginning. We have to start with the God who created the heavens and the earth and then we tell our souls, okay, it's all his anyway. So, so it's okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. Or he'll figure it out for us. Our first thought has to be that God is great. As our kids saying that he is awesome. That he is the monumental God. And then we work our way out from there. We find our way as we find God. If we don't start with God's authority and power. Then we won't believe that anything is possible. We won't we'll say all of this is too difficult for God. You know, my, my family is falling apart. My job is falling apart. The country is falling apart. God can't handle this. This is too difficult for God. That's what we will think if we do not start in the beginning. If we don't start with the, the greatness of who God is, if we don't start with the reality that God created the heavens and the earth, nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. He is not limited by anything. Now, does that mean that God will do whatever we ask? Will he do whatever we want? No. When uh, my wife and I bought our first house, I remember we were sitting there with the, the mortgage banker uh, at a friend's house and, and he was telling us um, how much they would allow us to have a loan for and needless to say it was a lot more than we actually could afford but you know there's that millisecond oh, oh yeah thinking, man this boy that's, that sounds great man we you know we can get the one with the chipping green and the putting green in the backyard now huh this is great let's do this but that day in that moment, what we did is we tried to make a good decision on what we could actually afford, you know. I mean, it would have been really foolish for me to go, hey, you know what, hon, let's double the mortgage because nothing's too difficult for God. <laughs> God can do anything. He has no limitations. There is nothing that's impossible with him. Nothing's too difficult for him, but he doesn't act outside of his character. And what's the best way for us to see the character of God? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's the best picture of the character of God that we have. Jesus gives us the grandest, most monumental picture of the character of God because Jesus accomplished 
the impossible. He made it possible for a sinful, rebellious sinner to be right with a holy God. Only Jesus can do that. I love how J.C. Rowell paints this picture. There is no sin too bad to be pardoned. There is no heart too hard and wicked to be changed. Let me just say right now, we all got somebody in our mind right now that says, oh, that's not true. Even if it's not somebody you know, there's someone in the world, you're, oh, no, that person is too wicked to be saved. They're too wicked to be changed. The answer from the cross is, is no, that's not true. Raul goes on, there is no difficulty too great for a believer to overcome when God is for us. Who shall be against us? And then he says this, faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. That means his unlimited power. Power that is all powerful and unlimited. So when Jeremiah was afraid, when he was angry, when he was confused, when he was stressed out, when he was any other emotion that you could possibly think of, what he did was he went back to the beginning. He went back to the very character and nature of God. What he did was he kept walking through the monumental doors of God. In other words, while he was in this kingdom, he kept making sure that his mind and heart were walking through the monumental doors of the kingdom of God over and over again. Because if you only stay in these doors, you will get angry and you will get stressed and you will be afraid and you will be confused. We have to step out of the doors of this kingdom and over and over again step in through the doors of the kingdom of God. God calls us to those doors. Jeremiah kept reminding his heart and his mind that God is omnipotent. Kept reminding his heart and his mind that God is all-powerful and that there is no limit to his power. And he kept telling him that over and over again, hey, self, you have a monumental God. There is no one like him. And as J.C. Ryle said, when he got afraid, frustrated, confused, stressed, angry, whatever it was, Jeremiah would lay his head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. So, whether it's the supermarket or the Supreme Court, whether it's your house or a hotel, whether it's the bank or the beach, whether it's the church or in your car, all day, every day, we all face the same question. The same question that we can't run away from. The same question that will define all of our monumental decisions and all of our monumental problems. And that question is simply this. Where are you laying your head? Where? Where?